Welcome to the podcast that passes poor performance on pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Darren Duncan, alongside with my best friend, Audie Marsh. We're just a couple of cool cats casually causing some chaos with conversation. We're here to entertain you, not hurt your feelings, so don't blame us. But it is, homeboy. What's up, man? What's going on, man? Hey, it feels it feels different not being at your house doing this. Yeah, I know, right? We did how many episodes here? Three? Yeah, two or three. Uh, yeah, was I don't know, two or three? I can't remember. That was awesome. This is episode 14, right? I believe so, yeah. yeah. You asked me all these questions until I go back, and I'm like, shit! Right. It was, it was 12. <laughs> <laughs> Every time before we go live, I usually uh, hop on our Spotify and just count all the fucking episodes. But ev- eventually, we're going to be like in the hundreds, so it's like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> We just got to start taking notes, dude. It's going to get so big, we can't even remember. I don't remember. Yeah, right. <laughs> we got a really 14. fucking, we got a really badass guest for our 14th episode. I think it's the 14th episode. Zach so. Edwards, man. Um, this guy is, the, in my opinion, he's the definition of the American dream, dude. A kid from fucking Indiana moving out to California to fucking pursue his dreams. And it's like, next thing you know, he's fucking on set. Fucking mixing the blood and shit it's great it's such a fucking awesome story i can't wait to talk to him about it and uh see how he fell into this career man it's awesome i'm very proud of him and stoked to have him on so you want to bring him on yeah let's bring this motherfucker on is that what you're saying basically yeah what's up dude hey guys how's it going good how are you man oh not too bad just uh enjoying the california sun yeah rub it in dick <laughs> no that but you're from the midwest originally right fort wayne yeah, fort, fort wayne indiana that's awesome when did you move out to california and what was the like the initial reason why you first moved out there um actually it's kind of funny you asked that today i just got a notification from this being in the week that i originally moved here seven years ago um i was on tour with my band at the time called the b-movie monsters and we played the Whiskey A Go-Go, and that night I knew California was home. And finished out the tour, got back to Indiana, and two days later I packed a bag and just left with $75 in my pocket. No shit. Oh, wow. <laughs> so what were you doing? Just like, were you homeless for a little bit, or how did how'd you fucking live? No. So coincidentally, uh, Bill Manspeaker of Green Jello wanted someone to move in with him to help him with just household duties and you know raising chaos and stuff like that so it just timed out perfectly that i lived in his toy loft in a tent yeah i remember uh before we met face to face i remember seeing bill man speaker live on facebook and stuff just being crazy in his house and when you were on tour with this other band, you you stayed at my house and you were like, you ever watch Bill Manspeaker's videos? I'm like, yeah. You're like, I'm the dude in the tent. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking awesome. And for those that don't know, when he said Raising Chaos, that's the the, the name of Bill's son. So he wasn't like trying to be funny. Like they, he was legit raising a human being by the name of Chaos. It's hysterical. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, Chaos. That's cool. No, that's the dude's son. <laughs> That's yeah, name. his full name is Chaos Diablo Manspeaker. Yeah. And then his other son's name is like Damien Hellion, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's fucking awesome. So what was the the B movie monsters your band like? Was it like punk rock and like horror movie? Like, yeah, I mean it, it was anything 
it was labeled as like horror rock or horror punk, but we did everything from surf music to straight punk music and everything in between. That's awesome. Uh, but now the cool thing about that band was every single song was themed off of a specific horror movie. Okay, cool. So like the lyrics would be about the movie and everything then? Yeah. So for instance, our song Dinner Party was about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, that's awesome. That's uh, Audie's favorite horror movie, by the way. So that's oh, cool absolutely. you mentioned that. Oh, yeah. I same it. here. I love me some love Texas it. Chainsaw. Oh, yeah. What'd you think of the new one? Uh, the new you one know, I Netflix. haven't. I've purposely kind of put off watching it because I've heard such bad things. And it's such like a grail movie to me that I don't want it to be ruined with a flop in the franchise. Look, look, the next generation, it it won't. It won't be nowhere near as worse as the next generation. So you should be fine. <laughs> yeah, Audie, Audie loves it, and he's a, a big fan like you of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So you might you might dig it. I loved it. I thought it was fucking awesome, it, it, dude. Yeah, it was definitely different. It, it it had its own little vibe to it. Uh, just gotta watch it go in. And I mean, you're a special effects artist, so I'm pretty sure you're more keen into things. Where Darren and I watch it, we're like, oh, that's cool. But you could probably look at it and be like, wrong wrong stupid you know so it's probably i was actually i was actually gonna say being a special effects artist you might really enjoy the kills because they're pretty fucking brutal oh yeah absolutely it's like a catch-22 like it's super cool because you know you cheer on your effect you know your fellow effects people but at the same time you're like oh i just saw where the uh, bloodline was rigged oh yeah okay so it ruins it for you a little little bit bit. sometimes Damn, I never even thought about it like that. That's kind of cool, but kind of shitty at the same time, yeah. So but, how'd you... Go ahead. I was going to say, but at the same time, you're like, ooh, that's how we did that blood. I'm going to use that in my next movie. Yeah, I was going to ask, too, if there's, like, do you get any inspiration from seeing shit like that in the way that it's done? Oh, definitely. I mean, for what I do, every effects person has their own way to do it. Um. And some, you know, if I haven't worked with someone that does it a certain way, I may have never been exposed to that, but I find that their way works better than what I have been using. So you're constantly just bouncing back and forth between what works best, what can be hidden, what gives the best results. How'd you fall into this, man? Because I feel like, um, like when we, when we first met, it was like, you talked about haunted houses and how you would do those and stuff. And but uh, I don't know if we ever talked about you like, yeah, someday I'm going to fucking be a special effects artist or anything. And it was just like, next thing I know, you're fucking on American Horror Story sets and shit. It's just crazy. How'd you fall into it and like become so successful so fast? So having a love for horror movies and haunted houses and all that mixed with the fact that I was that kid that always took my parents' lawnmowers apart, but never could figure out how to put them back together. Okay. Um I mean, I was the mechanic of my own Power Wheels Jeep when I cut the battery cables and couldn't, you know, mend them back together. I was heartbroken. But, you know, when I moved out here, I didn't know anyone in film. I didn't move out here with the intention to be in film. I moved out with the intention of music. And just the right situation arose. And my girlfriend at the time was already in the industry. And she says, you know, you like building things and figuring out how things work why don't you try that in front of a camera and get paid to do it? And I, I about called bullshit and said, there's no way that I can get paid to, you know, essentially be a hillbilly. Right. And uh, she was like, yeah, I mean, you absolutely can, but you're going to have to start at the bottom of the food chain 
and essentially be a coffee runner. Like you go up to the directors and you say, what can I get you to drink? Whatever it is. And so she got me my first job on a Dell computers commercial and basically said, this is the only one I'm getting you from here. You're on your own. And when I got the production assistant job on Westworld for the first time, I found the effects guys there and just annoyed the living hell out of them. And I was like, what's this do? How does that work? How do we make this happen? To the point the guy said, look, if you leave me alone, I'm going to give you my phone number. And when you can find a way to weasel yourself into the union, call me and I'll hire you. So I did. Um, that's where a lot of those Hulu, um, Huluween and all that kind of stuff, the uh, Into the Dark series came from is that was me getting my days to get into the union to work on bigger projects man that's so cool dude that's a really great story um speaking of the Halloween movies there's some really gnarly ones in there man like school spirit you designed the killer's mask and everything for that right yeah i did um actually let me see if i can uh, pull some photos up that the world has never seen oh cool yeah, but there there was School Spirit, which I designed the killer. I designed um, any kind of body part that was there. My entire garage was full of severed heads and torsos and all sorts of weird stuff. So I don't know how well this will show on the camera, but do you remember the scene with one of the kids being decapitated with the paper cutter? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> damn that's cool man that's there's really that cool. one and then uh here's me standing with the villain i created for that movie that's cool. fucking cool how does that feel man to like be the designer of the of the actual slasher like that's got to be pretty fucking sweet yeah i mean i thought i had reached the pinnacle of my career right there having such a love for horror and then Blumhouse, which has come out with so many cool horror films, to approach me and say, hey, we want you to design our killer. I about passed out. I mean, right. I, I told my fiance that uh, I think I pissed myself a little bit when that call came through. <laughs> what, did you have any inspirations for that killer for School Spirit? Or was this some, just your own brain baby or what? So believe it or not. I, at the time, was working on my sculpting skills, you know, just making different generic monsters and things like that. And I had already made that mask, and it was supposed to be kind of like a Texas Chainsaw-esque, like, skinned face that someone would wear. So the original version was bloody and torn up and things. And they had asked me to sculpt a mask for that movie, and I came up with four versions, and they didn't like any of them. <laughs> Not a single one, but they saw that in the background, I had the original version of that mask on a stand. And they go, well, the ones that are in clay, we don't like, but what's what what's that? And I told them, and they go, all right, bring it in tomorrow, and uh, we'll talk about it. So I brought it in, and they go, all right, well, we're going to throw some dirt on it, and I want you to repaint the cracks black instead of with blood and stuff like that. And that's basically how that the admiral was born that's fucking sweet <laughs> so what Did is you... it oh i'm sorry go ahead no you go ahead man uh, Ask him. so how does it how does it work you pay 
out of your own pocket to make all these things and then you just present it or do they give you like a budget it it depends like so for that one normally you would get uh like a what's referred to as a day rate for your sculpting time another day or so for molding and then production painting all of that uh but with that one because it was already pre-made and pre-molded we just came up with a flat number for uh, basically them to purchase the mold and mask. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering, because, you know, you sit at home and you come up with all these ideas, like 3D printing, you know, I sit here with all this stuff, but I'm just like, I need to get paid. Yeah. So I, that's why I asked you, it's like, you could come up with all this stuff all day long, but it's like, you better be making some money off of it. <laughs> you oh. know what I mean? Because it's, well, it's so one of those things where... In Hollywood, it, it's truly like feast or famine. You might work nonstop for six months and then everything dries up and you better hope you've saved because for the next eight months, there's not a single day of work. Okay, gotcha. So you're so you're like a work, 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 off on call. Yeah. Until something hits. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's got to be frustrating and probably that'd make me nervous. <laughs> Luckily, in special effects, because there's so few of us in Hollywood, we tend to work throughout the year. But a lot of other departments, there's they're flooded with people. So when productions kind of start to slow down, people are put to the side benches, unfortunately. And yeah, I mean, I've known people that have been on year long hiatuses. Wow. Does uh, do you got to pay union dues that whole time? Is that what your union's like? You got to pay? Oh, yeah. They always want their cut. Damn. How uh, how well protected do you think you are in that union? Is it a pretty safe union? It You know, it really depends. Um, you know, without talking too badly. Right. It, it's a very good union, but it's run more, in my opinion, like a club rather than a oh. union. Okay. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I lived in Indiana, I worked in a steel mill and was part of the steelworkers union. And the example I like to give is that when I was doing that, if, you know, you were my boss and treated me badly, I can, you know, tell you to F off, call them. And they're like, all right, well, your next job's over here tomorrow. Whereas if you do that here, the union is just going to kind of laugh and say, well, that sucks. Start making calls and get yourself some new work. Damn. That sucks. Yeah, I've been in a couple unions that you're a, a fucking joke. They you're, they don't protect you. They don't do shit. And it's like, what am I even paying this shit for? So, yeah, it's crazy. Um, Uncanny Annie, man. Let's talk about that movie. Let's do it. I, I fucking love this movie. It's like a it's like a horror version of Jumanji, right? That's what I've always thought. That's the way I explain it to people. I'm like, it's kind of like, what if Jumanji was a horror movie? Yeah. Would, go ahead. Talk about it. One of the pitches that the director, Paul, presented when we were doing the scouting originally for that movie was, you know, and I hadn't read the script. I were just walking into these locations. I'm seeing the house it all takes place into. And I asked him, I go, what's this movie about? And he said that he goes, think Jumanji meets 13 ghosts. Oh, shit, that's cool. <laughs> so how involved were you into that special effects then? Like, didn't you build props and shit for that movie too? Yeah, I mean, I, I did everything on that movie. Um, that, that was a nightmare of a movie to finish simply because there was just so much to do in such a short time. Because those movies, 
you know, standard features shot over two to three months. That movie was shot in 14 days. Holy shit. Well, it was all kind of in one location, right? So I guess that kind of makes sense a little for it being all... Because the whole movie takes place in one house, right? Besides, there's like a couple scenes on the road and shit like that. Yeah, but, you know, in doing that, and a a lot of people who haven't been on a movie set get a misconception that everything is built on a big soundstage. Um, With Uncanny Annie, that was truly an old abandoned house on a mining field. And the hallways were about three feet wide. So imagine getting three cameras, uh, sound, lighting, you know, a bunch of equipment up there, plus 10 or so extra bodies just trying to navigate through these hallways to work for the next scene. That sounds like a nightmare, dude. Yeah. So who did all when uh, when they try to leave the house and everything is black? That's all just like computer imagery, right? No, that was all done practically. Um, that was one day that we went to a sound stage out in I want to say it was Santa Clarita, California, and we just painted the entire thing black and hung a bunch of black curtains around them. Oh shit, <laughs> that's crazy because it looks fucking huge, like it's its own universe like its own dimension it's fucking wild i can't yeah. believe that, that was practical that's some crazy shit yeah we've got this cool stuff that uh the grip department uses called duvetine and it's like an absolute the darkest version of black you could imagine but it feels kind of like velvet or felt and because of that you can drape it right behind someone and it gives huge amounts of depth behind them oh wow that's cool man some movie magic yeah that's cool. What's like your favorite thing to do? Like speaking of movie magic, like is it the blood? Is it the severed arms? Um, for me, it's definitely blood work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I haven't gotten to do a lot of it recently. Um, well, I take that back. I have, but I just can't tell you what on yet. Okay. <laughs> All right, it. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's really cool, man. Yeah. So with the, um, so like with the blood and everything for Uncanny Annie, I, I believe that there was times where the board game and some cards and shit like that got blood on them. So how, what do you do? Are you dumping it out? Or are you blowing it out of a straw? How do you what'd you do on that specific movie for that? So a lot of that, um, for example, there's a scene where one girl opens up the box on top of the board, and I, th- I believe she takes a drill and drills through it and it just starts spewing everywhere. All we did was we put her inside of one of those like Walmart kitty pools. And between takes, we would just squeegee off the board and let it go down into this kitty pool. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Cause you can't really fuck up the house either. Right. Or I mean, did that house belong to somebody Were you renting it or what? No. So the house belonged to the state of California. Um, and yeah, the house was extremely, strict about what we could and couldn't do there. So I ended up creating, there was a scene where they wanted one of the characters to be invisible, but have put uh, footprints appear and they wanted them to be muddy footprints, but the location said, absolutely not. You can't do that. So I ended up making, I molded my own boot and made silicone pieces of mud that would go through it and had footprints in them. That's genius. (laughs) That's really cool. You did um, go ahead, Audie. That's 
if you sit back and think about it, that's pretty petty that you would have to make something that tedious to a special effect. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you can't do this. So you got to like improvise. That's, that's genius. I would have never thought to do that. And I would probably still just be pissed to the simple fact that I couldn't put my own muddy footprint on something. Oh yeah. I mean, one of the big ones that you guys will probably just laugh at. Have you ever seen movies when they're in the shower and the mirror steams up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's not steam. That's uh, spray on deodorant. Really? Yep. Wow. Is it because they can't have like moisture in the room with the with the cameras and shit? Or it's partially that, but with water, it acts however it wants to. You can't just control it for the most part. So with the arid extra dry like spray deodorant, we can put it on their light, put it on their heavy, and it can last long enough that someone can write their name in the mirror. That makes a lot of sense, oh. man. So you guys are responsible for everything. If it's raining, that's you don't film in the rain. That's you guys. If it's windy, that's you guys, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what we do is things that people take for granted. As dumb as it sounds, if you see a toilet flush on a set on a in a movie, that's us. If you see a sink turn on, that's us. If an actor lights a cigarette, one of us has to be about three feet away from him, making sure he doesn't light themselves on fire. That's crazy. That's so silly, but I get it. I took a safety is most important, right? Yeah. Right. Just like with any other job, it's like you want to go home the same way you, you walked on set that day. So I totally get it. And if you're hurt, you can't work. So exactly. If you're getting hurt too, but I never thought about the cigarette thing or even the water thing. Like, yeah. Cause I would, I would assume you guys don't have like running fucking water or like toilets. I mean, probably in the bathroom, but not on a yeah. fucking stage. No. Know? Yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, that's that's some crazy shit. Makes me take a guess. Maybe even trying to do a movie. I ain't want to do a movie now. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of problems do you run into when you're like creating like rain and thunder and wind and shit like that? Um, one of the biggest ones, especially with rain, is location. If you're in kind of a remote area, let's say out in the desert. There's no house to hook up a you know water line to, and there's no fire hydrant to tap into. So we actually have to bring out these gigantic water trucks that hold like 2,500 gallons of water and have water cannons on them. And then we hook those up to these big truss systems and you know the spray heads. But it's a lot of you know if you're somewhere that you can't have the regular amenities it's our job to figure out how it's going to work and a lot of the times producers don't understand that you know you can't make it rain in the desert at the snap of a finger it it takes planning it takes time and you're limited because if you're 50 miles out from the closest water source once those trucks run out of water you can't do another take until they go back into town fill back up and come back out Right. How do you, what, what about wind? Do you guys have uh, any, is there a pain in the ass to control wind or is that just a big ass fan? Um, it's a little bit of both. When it comes to stopping wind, we don't really do a whole lot of that. That's more of, uh, it'd probably be the grip department putting up what I refer to as like a fly swatter to kind of block it a little bit off of the actors. 
Whereas we're the opposite. We have everything from, you know, desktop size fans to fans the size of a, an airplane, you know, turbine. Okay. And uh, just a few seconds ago, we talked about like making it rain and shit. Isn't there's a, a fucking brutal band called Carnifex. Don't didn't you worked on that music video, right? Isn't it, doesn't it rain blood in that video? No. So in that, the video I did, um, we cut off a girl's tongue. There's all sorts of stuff I had made in the background. Um, it's a more psychological type video for that one. Okay. What's that song called again? Visions of the End. Yeah, everyone needs to go check that out. Not only are they a kick-ass band, but it's just cool that you worked on that music video. Yeah. How'd you get that gig? Um, so I had done a kind of low-budget horror film prior to that, and there was a lot of bad experiences there for other crew members, and I always stuck up for them and was kind of the one who just didn't care enough about the movie to let the producers treat the female crew members a certain way. So at that rap, you know, we exchanged phone numbers and said, you know, keep in contact, all of that. And about four or five months later, I get a phone call from the makeup artist on that movie. And she goes, Hey, um, my boyfriend's band is shooting a music video. I go, okay, that's great. And she goes, you know, do you mind if they call you? And I was like, yeah, whatever. Expecting it to be, you know, just another hopeful band going to be the next thing. So the next day I get a phone call and they go, is this Zach Edwards? And I go, yeah. They go, okay, well, this is a representative for Carnifex. And I go, oh, shit. <laughs> and I was like, well, how did you get my number? And they said, well, such and such gave gave us your name and highly recommended you. And we want an effects artist and you're the only one we're willing to work with at this point. And so, so I, you know, happily agreed to it. And, you know, I was like, what, what do you need? What can we do? And at the time they were on a very tight budget. They had just gotten off of a tour, just finished recording that album and everything. So they said, you know, we want the best thing, to, but we have to work within certain monetary parameters. And I go, you know what? I love the music. I don't care. I'm going to show up with an entire kit full of stuff, and we're just going to make whatever you want happen. And the night before, they called and they said, well, the one thing that we want done is we want in real time to cut someone's tongue off. So I, I'm scrambling around trying to figure out how to do it. And... It ended up the most ghetto thing I've ever done in my life. I ordered fake tongues on Amazon, had them shipped to my house the next day. And now I ran into the problem with how are we going to cut it off? And I just remember them saying they wanted it to be done in the most brutal way possible. So I ran out to the garden, grabbed my fiance's garden shears, and we used those to cut off a girl's tongue. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. So what'd you do for the blood? Did she have blood in her mouth or what, what's, how'd that work out? Yeah. So basically I hollowed out the fake tongue and we slipped it over her real tongue and she just pulled it out about, you know, an inch and a half only exposing the fake. 
and snipped through that. And I had a little blood packet on top of her real tongue that she would bite down into. And at the right time, it just spewed out. That would be terrifying as an actress. Like, you better not cut off my tongue, fucker. (laughs) Well, that's why I told her, I was like, you're the one doing this. I'm not going to reach into your mouth and feel your tongue for you. Right. Yeah, that would be. So what would she have to do? Bite the back of it? Yeah, I mean, it it covered probably three quarters of her real tongue. And it made her look like Gene Simmons when the full thing was in. (laughs) So... What we did is, you know, I coached her. I said, you know, find the tip of your real tongue and keep it behind your teeth and push everything else forward. And when we're going to do it, I said, bite down on the fake tongue and just pull forward and clip from that point. Hmm. I'm going to go tonight and order one of those fake tongues on Amazon. I still have about 75 of them in my garage. You're <laughs> <laughs> just waiting for a fight. Then we need in case I mess up, I have seventy five of them left. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's what you got to do, I guess. Being the you know the 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 effects artist, you got to always buy in bulk. You know, yeah, I mean, because you never know. Yeah, you know, I, I as the person doing the effect might say, ah, that that didn't look right. Let's do it again. Mm-hmm. Camera might say, oh, uh, the SIM card got corrupted. We don't have that take anymore. We have to do it again. So you always want to buy and manufacture more than what you're actually going to use yeah so speaking of takes have you ever had like a stanley kubrick moment where like you had to like just at take after take after take to the point where you're just ready to just throw it all up and quit have you ever been dealt with that in your career um you know luckily i haven't really there's been some that have been really close (laughs) um and you know, actually, it was in what was that? It might have been School Spirit. It was. It was the finale, which I won't give away, so everyone has to go watch it. <laughs> um, but let's just say the mascot. Yeah, you'll watch it anyways. Mascot just go gets watch the fucking movie, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Really mascot good. gets shish kebobbed with his own sword. <clears throat> okay. Um. <laughs> And the planning for that to happen and the way that it had to happen and everything, they wanted it from every single angle possible. And in film, you generally do what are referred to as a wide shot, a medium shot, and a tight shot. And then you reverse it. So, but this scene, I I kid you not, it was like wide, medium, tight. Okay, we're going to slide to the left. And we're only going to focus on this freckle right here. And then we're going to do the same thing. Okay, now we're going to do it from the other side and just focus on this eyelash. And everyone on set was like, are you are you serious? Like, we've seen this guy die probably 100 times at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's – I'd imagine that would – to me, that would just be so tedious shot after shot. Like, when you think, man, this was a good shot. It was so great. The effects went on. And then it's like, no, redo it. I that definitely pissed me off. I get you got to have some patience being oh, yeah. in the line of work that you are. And well, um, and a lot of things that you know, the what we refer to as the upper line, so the director, producers, and all that don't understand is that they have this misconception that we are magicians. Um, again, on school spirit, there's a scene where the kids are in a classroom and they pan forward and they see what was the mother skeleton now sitting at 
the desk in this basement. Well, I had built and made this skeleton and they, the script called for an actual exposed skeleton. Well, five minutes before we shot it, they decided that they wanted decaying flesh in it to look more like it was you know, still rotting. So if you watch the movie, you'll see that, you know, we achieved it and I had five minutes to do it and it was done with a, what was it? Um, one of the makeup girls handed me a, like a blush palette, I guess, and paper towels and a spray bottle. Wow, make it happen, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, whatever you got to do to make it work. Got to be nerve wracking. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So I, how does go ahead, Naughty? I was uh real quick. I was looking on the uh, the IDMB, and I see that it's got you listed. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. As an actor on Ass Clowns Constipated. That was yes. gonna be my next question. Uh, Awesome. <laughs> I've, I want to dig deep into that because this looks very intriguing and this is something right up my alley I'd probably laugh at. So tell, tell us, sell it to me. I want to know what this is about. <laughs> um, so I have to give you kind of the backstory of how we got. There. Yeah, absolutely. You, you yeah. tell it. So I did a horror film that was called, oh man, what was that? The Ascent. And on that movie, I was the special effects makeup supervisor. And the producer there, his name was Charles. And the first day he comes up to me and he goes, hey, uh, this is going to be kind of a challenging movie. The creature that you're going to be dealing with on a daily basis is head to toe covered in um, she has to look bloated. She has to be veiny. She has to be bruised. And she has to just look horrifying so we did a makeup test and this poor woman sat for probably six hours getting just makeup from head to toe and on top of that the director of that movie and this actress just weren't really getting along so you could tell that he was doing things to go out of his way to kind of be mean to this actress and so i i did everything i could to make her as comfortable as possible because when we were doing the makeup, she had to be in essentially a little bit less than a bikini. So I would always make sure that there was a female present while I was doing the makeup. And I would always ask her, you know, Hey, are you okay doing this today? You know, can I get you anything before we start? And her and I built a really good rapport because I, I always made her feel comfortable. I never did anything to, you know, give her any inclination of, you know, anything. I, I kept everything very professional. Well, later come to find out the producer of that movie is her husband now. And she had relayed to him, you know, hey, Zach was, you know, the only makeup artist as a male that I felt comfortable being alone in a room with, essentially being pretty close to nude. And, you know, it wasn't weird at all. It was very professional. We got the job done. And the producer came up to me one day and said, you know, you're doing a great job, but she is having trouble sitting for six hours every day to do makeup. And so I came up with a solution that we used a unitard, like a ballet unitard. And I painted that. I pre-padded that. I did everything to that. So from that point on, we only had to do neck up 
in makeup every day. Um, and actually, I might have a photo of that. Again, that's genius. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking... <laughs> That's well, I mean, awesome this poor lady's, you know, sitting there for just hours on end to look yeah. like, uh, let's see if I can get this. I can kind of see it. Not, it's yeah. not doing it much justice though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Watch send that to me and we'll put yeah. it up on the Patreon page. Yeah. Um, so anyways, you know, that, that movie ended and I kept a, a good relationship with them. And from time to time, they would call me and say, hey, you're basically our makeup guy. We want to work with you exclusively. And so we did a few other little shorts. And I actually also did some of the effects on Ass Clowns. And so basically, I started doing, you know, a black eye here and there on Ass Clowns. And Charles, the producer had also written the movie and he goes, Hey, um, how would you feel about showing up to set today? Then I asked, you know, Hey, yeah, not a problem. What do you need done? You know, is someone bleeding? What's up? He goes, no, but uh, make sure when you come, you're dressed in a flannel and you're going to put on kind of a weird voice. I thought this was a cartoon. This is a live action movie. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I show up and he's basically just like, look, you've got one line in this movie. And I'm like, all right, great. I had no idea what it was about. And turns out my line was he gave him more than just the tip. <laughs> That's epic. Perfect. That's fucking hilarious. Where can this movie be seen at? Do they know? I believe it's on Amazon prime. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna watch it just by looking yeah. at the cover. I'm like, that looks fucking funny. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, it, I, it's like essentially think of Saturday Night Live meets South Park. Oh, right up my alley. <laughs> so awesome. was your your character's name was William the Constipated or something like that? Yep. <laughs> That's fucking nuts. That's hilarious. I have to see this fucking movie, man. Yeah, from. Going off the cover, I thought it was like a cartoon or something. So, yeah, I'm seeing a few other movies on your IMDb. I did, I wasn't aware of man, like uh, Night Teeth and The Prom. Mm -hmm. Were those both horror movies? I'm guessing, or The Prom was actually a musical. Um, oh. It was a Ryan Murphy movie, so the same guy that did American Horror Story and all of those. But he decided once he got signed with Netflix that he was going to just do whatever he wanted and do a musical. Well, in doing that, he also assembled an, an all-star cast. So we had Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, um, who else? James Corden. I mean, just the list goes on. And it did really well. Um, and then what was the other one? Night Teeth. That one is a horror and it's probably one of my most embarrassing moments on set because I'm sitting there and half that movie was filmed in Canada. And then when they came to LA to finish the movie, I was kind of called last minute and they said, Hey, we need an, another effects guy here tonight. So I agreed and showed up and hadn't read the script. I just knew that we were doing some atmosphere and lighting a fire that night. And 
I see all the actors walk by and I'm like, all right, cool. And this girl walks by and she kind of smiles at me. And I looked at the other effects guy that was there. And I was like, that's weird. Who's that? And he goes, you don't know? I go, no. Who is it? And he goes, dude, she's so pretty. How do you not know who she is? I was like, eh, she's okay. Nothing special. Who is it? He goes, dude, that's Megan Fox. No shit. (laughs) Yep. That's fucking hilarious. You had no idea it was her, huh? Nope. That's funny. How long ago was this movie? I'm going to have to check this one out, too. Is it like a vampire movie? or? Yeah, it's uh, so that was actually the very first project I did coming back out of lockdown. Okay. So that was 2020. So I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you get this a lot and asked a lot, but I'm gonna ask it. Out of all your work, what is the f- the most not the most tedious one? Because I feel like what what uh, school spirit sounds like the most tedious one. But what was one of the, the your favorites to do work on? Was it like American Horror Story or um? I'm going to have to say a certain one just for a few different reasons. I did a show about a year and a half ago called Kidding with Jim Carrey. Okay. Um, First of all, I got to work with Jim Carrey, which I I grew up watching him. Yeah, I think we all have. (laughs) So, you know, getting to do that was cool enough. But that was a huge turning point in my career because up until that point, I had been under the assumption that, oh, every movie, we're going to have time to prep in a shop and we're going to have weeks in advance and this and that. But on that show, we were on the studio lot, had nothing more than what was in our trailer. And every day the schedule would change. So, you know, let's say we were supposed to be shooting the giant Bigfoot that walks across the set. Well, we're not doing that anymore. Now Jim Carrey wants to drive through the set in a car that's made out of a wine barrel and you've got 20 minutes to make it. So we would scramble to the trailer and just pull out any materials that we could just to make it happen. So it ended up for, you know, that example, his car was made out of one of those uh, little scooters when you break a leg and you put your knee on it and kind of scoot down. That was his car. (laughs) I'm not. So the the show is called kidding. Yeah. I gotta look into that, man. I haven't heard of it. Was it just like did it, why did it fly under the radar, or, or do I just live under a rock? Um, you know, I've personally never watched the show. I know a lot of people that did. Um, essentially, what I've been told is it's Mister Rogers on LSD. Okay, <laughs> I thought Mister Rogers was on LSD. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's fucking great. <laughs> Uh, how involved were you with the uh, American Horror Story? You were on uh, uh, the season Apocalypse? Yeah. Was there any other seasons or just that one? Um, for that one, I I was off and on throughout that season. I didn't have a whole lot of involvement um, past doing like some smoke and stuff like that. Um, there was just so much going on. And when I joined that crew... I found out that on the first day of shooting, within the first two hours of their day, they were a week behind schedule. 
Oh shit. So they they were slamming, trying to just do everything they could, filming multiple scenes at once, filming with multiple shooting companies at once, just to try to finish it. Because you know Ryan Murphy's a very busy guy; he never just has one thing going on. So while he was doing Horror Story, he had American Crime Story in prep. He was prepping the prom at the time. So Doesn't he was, like do Glee and fucking Scream Queens? And I mean, he's yeah, he's yeah. a real fucking busy dude. Yeah. Um, let's we got about fifteen minutes left here. Let's talk about your most recent project that I'm aware of, anyway. Uh, Pam and Tommy. Yes. Uh, dude, it was amazing. Like I love that show. As soon as it was done. I was like, I, I want to watch it again. I almost fucking restarted the whole thing and watched it again. It was so fucking... And there's, like, some kick-ass people in that show. Oh, yeah. So it was like, just what was what was your average day like working on that show and getting to sex? I'm sure you met them all, Sebastian and, and oh, yeah. Seth Rogen. And so what was that like working on that show? Um, first of all, Seth Rogen is one of the nicest people you could imagine meeting. Um, and... Uh, Sebastian who played Tommy was awesome I mean he was super cool every morning he'd come up and say good morning and you know he'd ask you how you are and all this and that and it ended up because I was the only member of the crew that had tattoos when they would put Sebastian's fake tattoos on the makeup department would come over and ask me to stand next to him every morning so they could compare what real ones versus his faked ones looked like mm. okay <laughs> yeah. So uh, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway because the audience doesn't. Um, so, did you create Tommy Lee's fake dick and his talking dick? Because that was a prosthetic dick, right? It was. Um, unfortunately, I did not make that. That was done by a guy named Jason at Autonomous Effects, which okay. those, those guys are miracle workers. Uh, but. All day long, no one can keep a straight face. I bet. <laughs> well, you know, first of all, the puppeteer walks in, and you think he'd have, you know, maybe a little briefcase or something like that. This guy comes in with, like, four or five road cases Damn. to control what was referred to on our walkies as, hey, Richard's on set. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, he's having a full-blown conversation with his dick in the bathroom, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that shit was nuts. So that was all remote control then? So it was a little bit of remote control. And what made it even funnier was that some of it was like old-school brake cables. So you're pulling a cable a certain way to make uh, Richard look to the left. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so did, did he wear that like a... Like a pair of underwear or did it slip on over his real genitalia or what how'd that work yeah so you know when when scenes like that get filmed they kind of kick out most of the crew um, right I, I would imagine trying to be so. kind of sensitive about the content but i did get to see the workings behind it because i did i was one of the crew members that had to be in the room for it and it it did it kind of slipped on kind of like a speedo and had a bunch of cables running south. Wow. Now, uh, the actress who played Pamela Lee, her chest was prosthetic too, right? Those, that wasn't her real breasts? 
Correct. I thought so. Yeah. They, they sure as hell looked like they belonged to her. That was insane, man. Like, I could tell the dick was fake. But, uh, yeah, when she was, when they showed her breast, I was like, man, that's crazy how real they look, man. Yeah. I mean, she was another one of those. Like, every morning, if our shooting call was 7 o'clock, she was there at 3 a.m. getting done up. And, you know, she was in the makeup chair every day for hours upon hours. Um. One of the things about the show that scared the living shit out of me, and I was like, this could be the end of my career, was, you know, you said you saw the whole show, right, Darren? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's a scene where she's fighting with her boyfriend when she's younger and still in Canada. Yep. And the boyfriend throws a Game Boy at her head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that wasn't that guy. I had to be the one that threw a real Game Boy at Lily James's head. Oh, shit. So <laughs> wow. in my head, I'm like, man... If I miss or she goes the wrong way, my career's done. Right. <laughs> like, wh- like, why are you was like, all right, we'll get this guy to do it. He looks confident. <laughs> well, so that day, the um, the stunt coordinator was there, and he he was there to coordinate what you know that would be referred to as a stunt. And he asked me, he goes, you know, how's your pitching arm? And I said, it's pretty good. He goes, are you pretty accurate? I go, yeah. And he hands me. Oh, yeah, I throw stuff at girls' heads all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, I mean, he did. He pulled me aside for a good 20 minutes, and he was like, here's a Game Boy. I want you to hit this vase. Wow. And so he made sure that I could hit it every single time. And, you know, between myself and him, we were confident that it could be done. And But, you know, in that moment, it's just like, if I screw up, this is bad. Right. Yeah, I could imagine, man. That would be a little scary. Because that's not just going to be like, oh, it's okay, I'm all right. Like, no, she's going to get a couple stitches over that, you know? Oh, yeah. Those things are heavy. Yeah, Yeah. it's going to fuck a lot of things up. So, have you uh, ever met anyone, I forgot what the correct term is, but like where they don't break character? You ever met any guys like that, like Jared Leto type dudes where you're just like, hey, man, you're just trying to talk to them about like the process of what we're going to do. And they're still got their accent or whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Why did his name just leave me? Uh, oh, there it is. Uh, Ed Harris on Westworld was one okay. of those. Um, when we were filming season two of Westworld. Uh, a little bit of backstory for it is that. I never talked to Ed, never said a word to him, kind of just stayed out of his way because that's what we were told to do. We're like, you know, don't bother him. But yet every day everyone's up there. Oh, hey, Ed, how's it going? What's this? What's that? And you could just see him getting annoyed. So I made a point to kind of avoid him. Well, there was a day that it was his birthday and we were on set. And everybody kept crowding him and I just kind of stayed off to the side. And finally, towards the end of the night when we had wrapped we're just crossing, crossing paths. And I said, Hey, Ed, you know, happy birthday. And I kept walking and I didn't say anything else to him. And the next day, someone had to go relay some information to Ed and everyone just kept getting screamed at. And again, him and I are crossing paths and he goes, Hey, why didn't you, you know, stick around and talk to me more? And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't want to bother you. I know you're at work and, you know, so was I. And I just wanted to treat you like a human. I said, happy birthday. And that's all I had to say. And he looked at me and goes, 
I like you, kid. You're the only one that doesn't give me bullshit. <laughs> so from that point forward, I was the only one that was allowed to talk to Ed Harris. I had to relay all the information to this guy and, you know, be the kind of point person with him. Well, so during season two, there was a bunch of wildfires here in California. And Ed Harris is a big smoker. So my job was literally to go sit with him and, you know, hang out while he chain smokes and make sure he shows back up when it's time. So we're sitting there and he's got this big Bowie knife. It's a prop. And he's carving the stick. And I'm like, first of all, this is just cool watching this guy sit here, chain smoke and using, you know, 13 inch knife to carve a twig. <laughs> and so over my walkie, I hear, hey, guys, the uh, wildfires are getting close. We're going to evacuate. So I look over at him and I go, hey, Mr. Harris, um, they're saying that it's getting dangerous and we're going to have to leave the area. So I stand up and as I'm about, you know, mid standing, he grabs my arm and sits me back down. And he goes, you see those fires over there, boy? And I go, yeah. Because we don't leave until they come to us. <laughs> and at the time, I'm like, all right, well, if I'm going to die, it's with Ed Harris. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. That's awesome. That's cool. So I've never seen Westworld, man. Try to explain it for all the other people, just like myself, who hasn't seen it. Oh, boy. Um, is it like robots and shit, ain't it? It is, but it's not like you would expect think about being able to pay a certain amount of money to go live in a video game, but everything in the video game is tangible. So you can actually touch the characters. You can, you know, eat, drink, you know, shoot people, get shot, everything. Okay. Um, and then imagine getting stuck in that world and the AI bots start to gain consciousness Okay, is this uh, is this a HBI sh or HBO show or something or what, yeah. what was that on? Is it okay? Cool, because I got HBO Max, so I'm definitely gonna check it out then. Oh yeah, and check what, it out. What kind of stuff did you do? You said you were uh, were on season two, right? Yeah. So what were you in charge of? Um, I'm gonna make you wait on that one, but okay. Basically, as you watch, you'll see that that was a nonstop you know, job for us for months and months. Okay. Awesome. I'm interested. That sounds awesome. I got to fucking check it out. Yeah. There's, there's, I have definitely a list of movies because of you, Zach, that I have to go and watch now. So uh, I have yet to see the Tommy Lee one. So dude, it's so good. Like it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It sounds the, good. Just from the, the talking first, dick and everything. The first two episodes, I was like, man, I hope this whole season ain't dicks. And uh, uh, like the third, the third episode, it's just fucking amazing. It's such a good fucking show. But yeah, it was the first two episodes are a little weird. <laughs> yeah, they were a little odd. And the, the cool thing with it, though, was that the director on the first couple of episodes was a guy named Craig Gillespie, and he had just finished the movie Cruella. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That was a good one. I, I love that movie. That was a really good one, man. Yeah. yeah, they couldn't have picked a better person to play Cruella DeVille, man. Emma right. Stone nailed that shit. Just yeah. like Angelina Jolie with Maleficent. It was like, oh, yeah. yeah. They just they couldn't have picked anybody better, man. And uh, Sebastian, uh, what's his full name? I know Sebastian it's Stan. Yeah. 
that dude, he he fucking pretty much nailed Tommy Lee, man. He was pretty good too, I thought. Yeah, he's another one of those that while he's on set, he wasn't Sebastian. He was Tommy. Okay. It, it was cool just, you know, interacting with him and seeing, you know, once once the day was over, you could talk more to Sebastian. But throughout the day, you know, his he changed his mannerisms to be more like Tommy. Uh, Sebastian himself doesn't smoke, but on set he would just to keep up that raspy voice and all sorts of other weird tricks. Right. That's really fucking cool, man. The, uh, the dude in real life who stole the sex tape, don't he live in California and he's like, he's got a pot farm now or something. He does. Um, to my knowledge, you know, I don't know if he owns a pot farm now, but I, you know, for the longest time I thought he had gone into like the plumbing business. It was, it was weird. He's he's a weird guy. Uh, yeah, at the end of it, they said that he like, I don't know if he owns a pot farm or if he just works on a marijuana farm, but he it says that he tells everybody, like, I'm the guy who stole the sex tape, but nobody believes of it. <laughs> like, you could be anybody could tell that story, you know? It's just like when you're at a strip club. You could be anybody you want to be. You could lie to the strippers and be like, oh, yeah, I fucking do this or whatever. Oh, yeah. But like, but something that strange to like nobody knows who the fucking guy is that stole that sex tape, and now we do because of the show. Yeah. Um, did they have uh, any anybody real life to help tell this story? Like, did uh, I forgot? I can't think of the word either that they use. But like, was Tommy Lee involved, or the real guy who stole the tape, or was there anyone else that was involved in the real story? Be like, hey, this is what happened, or this is how it went down, or whatever. Not, not directly. I know that. Tommy and Sebastian had corresponded kind of back and forth more so so that Sebastian could figure out his personality and how to portray him. And then on the flip side, you know, you can still find news articles about it. Pamela Anderson was absolutely against the thing even being made. And, you know, at least in my opinion, I think it's that she didn't know how she'd be painted because, you know, as I'm sure you saw Darren, she's actually shown as the victim in the series. Right. It's, it's not, she's not made out to be like a whore or whatever you want to call it. She's made out to be, you know, victimized, which she was. And I just don't think she's willing to see that because she just thinks it's going to be another bad publicity for her. Right. Yeah, I was a kid when this was, I was pretty young when all this shit went on, but it was just crazy to see all the bullshit behind it about how this guy fucking stole it, this guy bootlegged it, and this is when the internet was brand fucking new, so it was like nobody really knew what the, like, who cares, it's on the internet, and it's like, no, dude, like, everybody uses the fucking internet, you know? Oh, yeah. It's crazy, it just, it took off, and then. It's crazy, too, that, you know, she was right the whole time. She's like, it'll go away. We need to ignore it. And then they're all like, no, we got to sue these fuckers. And it's like, now look what fucking happened. Now it's in the light, you know, and now everybody knows. And, yeah, she she definitely was a victim. And, like, people think she's this dumb blonde, but she was definitely, like, the right one in this whole oh, yeah. scenario, you know? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Pamela Anderson, you know, I've never met her myself, but having talked to people that do know her and watching interviews, she's incredibly smart. She, I mean, unfortunately the media wanted to see her a certain way. So she had to play kind of that dumb blonde character. Right. But 
in real life, you know, from everything I can gather, she's incredibly smart and, you know, well-rounded and knowledgeable. So before we let you go, man, what other kind of things do you do when you're not filming? I know uh, me and Audie here, we're podcasters, so we like to talk about true crime and thing. And there's been some pretty cool places that you've been to, like Spawn Ranch and... uh, I think like where Elizabeth's short body was dumped and things like that. Like, uh, do you do that often or was that just kind of something you just did one day? Um, when I get some extended time off, I like to go to those kind of places. Still got to get you out here to do the uh, Queen Mary with me. Yes. I want um, to so bad. But, you know, a lot of the time, because I work 18 hour days, five days a week, I like to just come home and relax. Recently, I've been getting into the hobby of what's referred to as EDC. I don't know if you guys know what that is. No, what is that? Uh, Essentially everyday carry. It's just the crap that you carry in your pockets. So pocket knives, pens, little tools, stuff like that. So that almost kind of like a survival thing, you know, whatever you encounter that day, you'll have the tools on your person to make sure you can get through that day. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, I definitely, so, uh, I definitely have one of those cards that has like a knife, uh, uh, saw on it. Have you seen those things? Those things are oh, pretty yeah. cool. Is that, that kind of like one. what? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you probably got several, and so they like so fit right kinda, in your wallet, right? Just like yeah. a credit card. Yeah, and it's got That's like awesome. a Phillips head and all that stuff on it. Those, those are really cool. So is that something like? Do you make those like a pouch? You just slide it in, and put it in the back pocket, and you're good, or? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Everybody's different. Like, for instance, you know, these are my my car keys right now. Yeah. But this thing that looks like a pocket knife actually holds my house keys. Gotcha. Uh, This is an incredibly powerful flashlight. This little thing, and you'll have to look up videos of them, but it's called tritium, and it's actually a radioactive uh, compound, but it works like a glow stick that never has to be recharged. So if you're in the dark, that thing will glow, and you can always find your keys. Oh, that's, oh, that's cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's fucking sweet. So how does this Queen Mary work, man? It's I know it's a haunted boat, but like, mm-hmm. how did are they? Is it open all year round, or what? Can so during the Halloween, like fall season, they do your standard haunted house there, um, okay. and it's actually a really good haunted house. But throughout the rest of the year. The Queen Mary is a ship, is a hotel. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and on certain days, you can book ghost tours and certain things like that. Uh, or you can elect to stay there overnight and you just have free roam of the ship. So, you okay. know, if we were to do the research, I know there's one room on the ship that they won't advertise it's for a stay or anything like that. Because there's essentially nothing in it anymore, but it's supposedly the most haunted room that has had the most uh, unexplained deaths, suicides, murders, and all of that that have taken place in this room. Okay. Can you stay in that room if you request it then? If you specially request it, you can. But there's no bed or nothing, so we'd be bringing air mattresses and shit? Yep. All right. Well, that's the one I want to fucking stay in. Say less. So um, is this something that I have to like book way in advance or is it like, hey, Zach, I'm going to be in fucking California next month, man. Let's fucking hit up the Queen Mary. Like, how does it work? Um, I'd say we should at least do it a month in advance just to be on the safe side, you know, to make sure, you know, because with, you know, the whole world coming back from uh, 
the sickness. Um, I don't know, you know, if they close the hotel down for cleanings and maintenance or whatever, or right. you know, if they're back to full operating capacity. Okay, cool. And where isn't where in California is it located? How far are you from it? Uh, I live about an hour and a half from it. It's okay. uh, in a town called Long Beach. Oh, okay. Um, so do you live in LA then or what? No. So I, I now live in a, a town called Simi Valley, which is about 30 minutes outside of LA. Okay. It's just enough that when you're done with work, you can get away from the congestion of LA and, you know, have a peaceful night and not have to deal with the tweakers and things that run down the streets. Yeah. Yeah, no shit. Um, the Museum of Death, is that uh, close to you? It was. They closed it. Oh, no, did they? Yeah. I heard, they were like, I heard they were moving it again. Yeah, so they're in the process of moving it, but it was on Hollywood Boulevard, and they haven't opened their new location yet. Gotcha. Oh, so it's not like shut down permanently. Oh, no, no, no. It's, I, it's just in oh, kind of I've, the... I've been to their uh, their Bourbon Street one. Their one yeah. in New Orleans. I went to that one. That that one was pretty cool, but it's nothing like the one in California, from what I gather. Yeah, they uh, got like quilts that the Manson yeah. girls made, and fucking yep. all kinds of crazy Heaven, shit. Heaven's Gate bunk oh, beds yeah. and stuff. Yeah, well, that's... so luckily the Museum of Death closed, but there's a new one on Hollywood Boulevard called the Icons of Darkness. And it circulates instead of on true crime, it's going to be more of your suit they wore as a xenomorph in the movie. Or it's, uh, it might be like, uh, you know, the original Leatherface mask or any of that kind of stuff. It's all of the movie props from just horror films. I think oh, I've I think I've seen this before. Like uh, I think they got the hands that Johnny Depp wore in Edward Scissorhands and shit like yep. that. Oh, that'd be so fucking crazy! I'd love to see that, man. Like, how do you obtain stuff like that? That's wild, man. Believe it or not, a lot of the times, you know, up until probably the two thousands, studios didn't think of oh, people are going to collect this stuff, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's an old story that the Death Star was found in a backlot trash can. And the only reason it still exists is someone was like, hey, that thing looks cool. I'm going to take it home. That's insane. Man. Yeah, that when uh, I, I own a prosthetic ear from, uh, I think, Natalie Grossman, the girl who played Pepper in American mm-hmm. Horror Story. And I actually got it from the company that uh, works for called Zobie Productions. And before I even bought it, I hit you up. I'm like, how rare is this thing? And you're like, dude, Nobody has prosthetics because they no. rip them off and throw them away at the end of the day. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm fucking buying it, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and if they do still exist after production, they typically will kind of hoard them themselves in case they have to do reshoots rather than yeah. having to make new ones. You know, they'll just kind of stash them away for a year yeah. or so. Well, from and, what I gather, Natalie did that. She she had a whole, like, bag of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh you know, I guess after the show aired, it's like, well, kind of like your 75 tongues. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> right, it makes sense. Yeah. Now, they usually keep the clothes on lockdown, right, for consistency. That way, if there's a fucking bullet wound or something, they don't got to, re- like, recreate it. And Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the, um, the kind of expected life of the show. If it's a one-off and it's a feature, they'll typically shoot through the whole thing. 
once it's ready to go out to the mainstream and it's been deemed as complete, a lot of the times that stuff will go into a studio storage or it'll go off to private auction. Uh, one of the cool things, you know, anybody can check out is there's a website called prop store and every month they have auctions. There's a, a, a prop store here in Los Angeles and there's one in London as well. And you yeah, can you go on there. Yeah. And you can go on there and anybody can bid on, you know, say this month they're doing props from Brandon Frazier's mummy. Um, my buddy just ended up selling the reverse bear trap from saw. Oh shit. Yeah. Wow. So the guy that taught me special effects is the guy that designed that trap. Oh, wow. Okay. That's awesome. Man, I'd love to have that. Oh yeah. Me too. I man. wonder what that sold for. That's fucking it sweet. went. I want to say it was like 36 grand. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah. I, yeah. I'll, I'll look <laughs> at it. From that my, kind of money. I'll look so, at it. From afar. <laughs> so get this. Not only did he do saw, he did the remake of House on Haunted Hill. Nice. He did From Dusk Till Dawn. Uh, what else? I mean, he did. If there's an iconic horror movie in the last, you know, 20 years, Tommy was the one that did it. Oh, that was the other thing. So along with the reverse bear trap, he sold the mask and machete from Jason Goes to Hell. Oh, wow. Wow. That's really cool, man. There's yeah, uh, see, see, as the... I guess as the times go, because Darren and I are into collecting, we we collect. Our collections are crazy. So knowing now what these studios and stuff know, especially with the audience and the collecting genre of everything's getting bigger, it's only going to go up. You know, like Darren right. and I always miss. We I always tell Darren we miss. What do I say? I say we always miss our turning point. Or we always miss the like, niche. We're not we're not ahead of the curve. We're on not ahead of the curve shit. on anything and uh you know that would be something um going back to 2000 to even you know or you know late 90s if you could get a hold of stuff like that man i would be rich oh yeah i would just sell the shit you know i mean i wouldn't want to but i'd need the money but it's wild because it's like you want to tell people like don't get into it it ain't worth it don't collect it so that way i can go buy it but (laughs) yeah but what people don't understand about collectors is you know, to them buying, you know, whatever it is, uh, might be stupid. You're like, why did you spend that much money on such a small item or whatever? Right. But to you, it could hold a special place. Maybe that was the last movie you saw with a parent before they passed. Or maybe that's where you saw, you know, that movie in the theater with your now wife or whatever it is. People don't understand that kind of deeper connection to these props. And I, I tell you, that's funny you bring that up, Zach, and I don't want to make this all about me, but you mentioned that. So the the new Ghostbuster movie just recently came out. Uh, I took my kids to watch it. Mm-hmm. I watched Ghostbusters 2 because the first Ghostbusters, I wasn't even, I think I was not even a year. It came like in 84. The second one came out in like, what, 89? Yeah. So I was like, I was a little older, five or six. So my dad took me and... Uh, I took my kids and I wanted the Ecto popcorn. Uh, I guess, what is it? Uh, a popcorn holder. Yeah, it's like a bucket. Yeah, so it was like, yeah, like a bucket. Really neat. Lights up. The little lights come on. I couldn't get it. I went on, I went on the AMC. It was sold out. I ended up spending <laughs> $100 from a third, like a someone who bought it and flipped it. Uh all because of what you just said. 
Like, yeah. I wanted that piece because I took my kids. It was a, a very, like, special moment for my children. And I wanted to get that just for the simple fact that I'm going to pass it to them when I die. Mm-hmm. But uh, you hit it on the head, man. That's exactly why I bought it was because I took my kids to a Ghostbusters movie. My dad took me in 89. And I ended up spending that money, man. hundred bucks, like like nothing. I told oh, Darren, yeah. he looked at me like I was stupid. But then I had to like. Not he's like, really, he's like yeah, man, I, I kind of get it, dude, but I never would have fucking done it. And I was like, dude, whatever. Well, you know? Only because it was Ghostbusters. I mean, I almost spent a hundred bucks on the Scream 5 popcorn bucket. And luckily, yeah. one of our friends fucking got me one for free and gave it to me. But And it's it's no way near as cool as the Ghostbusters one, but I guess I wanted it that bad because it's my favorite fucking franchise. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. but, I mean, for a while, I collected props and... I kind of got out of it once I started building my own. I just kind of had to decide, did I want room for my own stuff or things I've collected? And as strange as this is going to sound, I've alternatively started collecting people. Uh, <laughs> so when, when I was young and living in Florida, we went to the Universal Studios Islands of Adventure right when it first opened. And there was one ride I wanted to go on, and it was called The Hulk. And we go there, and it's the only ride that day that's closed down. And we find out it's because a movie's being filmed there. So now fast forward to current day, I find out they were filming House on Haunted Hill there. And that's the guy I've been working with. That's nuts, dude. Wow. And then uh, right before, you know, my mom unfortunately passed when I was young. One of the last things we did together was we saw the movie Last Samurai. So the guy I work for now was the special effects guy on Last Samurai. That's cool. So wow. that's amazing. That's awesome. Look what I got in my collection. You remember this? Ah, the rock from Centralia. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, Audie. Uh, I probably told you this story, but his his old this old band he was in, they were touring and he stopped in Centralia, Pennsylvania, right? Pennsylvania? Yeah. Where they fucking filmed Silent Hill and shit, and he fucking he gave me a rock from there. I was like, "Fuck yeah!" I, I think I gave awesome. you like a Hitchcock shirt or something, didn't I? Yeah, that's fucking awesome. Thank that's you for awesome. this, by the way, man. I know I said oh, it yeah. before, but I love this fucking thing. It sits right on my shelf with all my horror shit. It's awesome. Oh, and I know I've been super late, and these have been promised to you for over a year now. But we had just recently moved, and they got lost in translation. I have relocated the Uncanny Annie cards, and I will get oh. those to you in the mail. Awesome. I can't wait, man. That's cool nice. as fuck. I got to come visit you, too, so we can go to Spawn Ranch, man. I got to get some fucking dirt or something from there. That'd oh, dude, Spawn Ranch stuff. is like a mile from my house. Awesome. Yeah, I oh, got to wow. come out there. Yeah. Yeah, we got to fucking, we got to hook up and go out there. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate you hopping on, dude, and spending your Saturday night with us. Um, please share this on your Facebook, show all your friends and everybody, and oh, yeah. try to help spread the word. And um, just congratulations on all your success. I'm so proud of you, dude, and so happy for you, man. Thank you. It's fucking amazing. You like I said earlier, man, in the intro, like you're like the definition of the American dream, dude. A Midwest kid, 75 bucks, move out to Cali, and fucking look at you now, dude. It's awesome. Congratulations, yeah. brother. Thank you. All right, man. We're going to let you go and then get out of here. And uh, again, thank you so much for hopping on, dude. Exactly. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, man. Peace out, dude. Take it easy. Later. What's up, Audie? 
What's up, man? How fucking cool is that, man? Oh, that's amazing, dude. I, you know, that's the things I want to do, man. Like, I want to, I just want to move somewhere and just be successful. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you know, like, like I want shit takes... to fall. I like I want to fall into shit and start smelling like roses. <laughs> but I just fall into shit and I still smell like shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're like a you're like a turd that was rolled in glitter. <laughs> <laughs> Not even that. <laughs> oh, how, how big are that guy's balls to just fucking move out to Cali? Yeah, and be dude. Like, like... like I'm gonna fucking go out there after playing one show. In California with his band, and he's like, "This is it for me, this man. Is it. This is the life." Like, hey, how do you even get there with seventy five dollars in your pocket? I mean, like, what I don't the even fuck? know, man. I don't know. Right? You know, it's like I said, it's Not it's just all it. about taking risk. Exactly. Life. I was just you gonna know? say that everybody's like, "Oh, I want to fucking do this and be a star or whatever," and like he fucking pulled the trigger and look at him. You know, yeah. it's it's amazing, dude. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like when I signed up for the army, I knew what I was gonna get into. And that right. was the risk. That was the risk I took, and I'd never look back. I'd do it all again. You know what I mean? So I kind of, I kind of get, I get the 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 whole taking the risk, but you know, going out there and doing your thing. You, you just got to do it. Most people nowadays, they they're afraid to take risk, and they never, they really yeah. never. I don't want to say they don't amount to anything. I feel like I'm attacking someone when I say that, but they never follow the dream of what you know. You you don't know until you take the risk, and and yeah, I say this to all the first leap of faith. You know? Yeah, and I say this all the time. Fail is an acronym. Your first attempt in learning, you right? Know, F first, right. A attempt. You know, that's your first attempt. You got to fail sometimes to 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 learn from it. So I right. get it. That's awesome. I got uh, I got to holler at him and uh, see if he can snag us some dirt from Spawn Ranch or something. Yeah. Yeah. Put it, yeah. put it on the mantle. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Um, but, I forgot, but yeah, man, that was just, that was a good episode. That was cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really happy that he hopped on. You got to see them fucking that Pam and Tommy, bro. Uncanny know, Annie's. Dude. I'm slacking, man. I'm un, slacking. Uncanny Annie is a really good show, movie too. I loved it. I that's feel like probably my, that's probably my favorite thing that he's worked on. Um, that and the Pam and Tommy show. Yeah. I got to We got to see this ass clowns. Right. I was, I, I was I was going through. I was making the graphic ad, and I was like, "What what movie should I put up there for him?" And I was like, "Oh wow, he got him listed as an actor." I was like, "Ass clowns." I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> I thought it was a cartoon, judging by the the. Yeah, I thought it was too, but whatever. it looked. I'll definitely definitely take a look at. It. I felt like such a big asshole in some of the stuff he was talking about because I've yet to see it. You know, I dude, you know me how I'm so far behind on everything, but right. Um, but yeah, the Tommy Lee thing I'm going to check out the West, and then. Uh, Uncanny Annie, you've you've been talking about that movie for like the last two months, so I definitely got shit longer than that because I I saw it randomly. Um, I just saw it on Hulu, and I'm like the the synopsis or whatever sounded cool, and I think I posted about it on Facebook, like, hey, if you got Hulu, you should because I'm always doing that, you know, after every yeah. movie I watch. And I put it on Facebook, like, dude, you got to see this movie, Uncanny Annie. And he commented, he's like, I fucking, I worked on that. And I was like, what? For real? <laughs> he's like, and that's when he started telling me about, yeah, check out School Spirit too. And he's like, I did all the Huluween shit. And I was like, fuck, I didn't even know that, man. Like, it's awesome. And then that's yeah. when I, that's, I think that's how me and him started talking again, was like, dude, you're fucking doing special effects and shit. Yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah. 
it takes a special type of person to jump into doing something like that because like i i don't have patience like that i couldn't like if you, darren if you told me to make like something out of whatever i i i would probably get pissed at you for you giving me such a short time to make it i'd probably tell you to go fuck yourself right <laughs> you know right. I, I just couldn't i was like i can't fucking do it <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah. tell me what to do. <laughs> what do you say? 20, 20 minutes to make a car out of a yeah, wine for barrel? Jim for Jim fucking Carrey. Yeah, but it's like, Jim Carrey. Like, you can't say no. Oh, yeah, like, how do you pull that out? hilarious. Out? Yeah, that's fucking hysterical. That's crazy. That's drive, man. All right, man. Well, uh, next week, I think we're going to have Matt Santoro one again from Super Bob. Okay. And uh, I got to fucking get back out in the world and start hollering at some guests so we can get some more people on. Yeah. We were supposed to have Brandon Chappetti, the singer of Bleeding Through, on yesterday at 5 p.m., but I got to reach back out to him so we can do it at our typical time. I don't like doing podcasts in the middle of the day. Yeah, I don't like it either. I, I feel yeah. like the night, the nighttime, everybody's digressed. It's, you know, right. run an hour. I should fucking holler at him because he's probably pretty pissed. <laughs> he's probably like, what the fuck, man? Fuck these guys. I'll never be on those podcasts. Yeah, That's no okay. Shit. When I when I lined up CJ Graham, I was talking to him on the phone, and he he kind of I told him he scalded me that one time. He was yeah, like, "Yo, you're you're doing this, and you can't do that." And he's like, "I'm not nobody. I, I'm I play Jason." And he was just like, he was mentoring me, you know. And he was like, "What the hell is this shit at five o'clock in the afternoon? Nobody wants to do this shit at five o'clock." I was like, "I didn't know." Well, you know, he like, went live for us. No, for me, when I was doing it on the other podcast, that never oh, happened. Oh, he's okay. like, he's like, figure, he's like, basically, figure out your life, circle back around, and come talk to me again. And I, I haven't blown him off. I just like, I, everything I, you know, what I had at the time, the program I was using, it was a, it was bullshit. But now that I have this, uh, right, right, it's nothing to get CJ on and get him on here and, yeah, you know, talk about. I get him on here and just let him talk about, you know, what what he does in life i don't want to like bombard him with the whole jason thing because you know that's everybody right. knows him as that <clears throat> for sure but yeah uh let's cut it man I, I enjoyed this one i appreciate zach coming on that was really cool um i'll definitely be uh probably picking zach's ear when i watch some of these movies i, I won't bother yeah. him too much but um because you know i like to edit the videos you know I, I like i like doing the computer stuff it's little right. easier than me making a uh a, a fucking barrel car for jim carrey i could never do that <laughs> yeah no shit all right man well yeah, uh, i'll talk to you later dude we'll stop right, out of here i suppose oh uh thank you all for listening and joining us we got to give a shout out to our producers i almost fucking forgot we can't forget that shit we got ben newman Chandra Daler, Ryan Merriman, Brett Kopaka, Tara Myers, Paul Tonkovich, John Bailey, and Katie Jellick. Thank you all so much for donating to our Patreon every month. And you guys are going to have merch coming your way. And uh, just thank you for being loyal listeners and uh, donating and fucking helping produce our show. Really uh, appreciate absolutely. It. We really appreciate it. That's it, man. See you guys later. Peace Don't blame out. Us. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to our little passion project podcast. Remember, we go live every single Friday night, same damn time, same damn channel. So if you miss it, don't blame us.